I hope you guys came prepared. I hope you brought your Bible. I hope you brought a notebook. And give it up for our lead pastor, Pastor Joe Source. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I love Wednesday nights. Wasn't there a song years ago, I love the rainy nights or something like that? <laughs> Praise God. How are we all doing tonight? How many of you made it out last Sunday to the Field of Dreams event? Awesome. What an amazing turnout. Uh, we're estimating anywhere from five to 550 to 600 people showed up. And the generosity of this congregation is absolutely staggering. Uh, don't ask me because I can't tell you. But it's big. Amen. Amen. And it should be that way, right? Yes. Hallelujah. So uh, don't forget, uh, make sure you show up next Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Turn to somebody say Tuesday night. Tuesday. Say it again. Okay, there's something about maybe when we repeat things, because it's inevitable next Wednesday night, somebody's going to be banging on the door, and, and some of you are going to be home stuffing, making your stuffing and making your lasagnas and all that stuff, and depending on whatever your cultural background is. So, can you believe it's Thanksgiving next week? Crazy. Um, let me talk about that for a moment before, because something hit me today. We're seeing a lot of like uh, posts on Facebook, funny things, talking about how Thanksgiving gets skipped over. But think about what that means. How do you skip Thanksgiving? I'm not talking about the meal. How do you skip Thanksgiving? How do you put aside the concept of giving thanks unto God? Plus, pray for, uh, you know... I might not get a chance to talk about this next Tuesday because it's worship night. But how many of you are going to be with family this, uh, this Thanksgiving? Let me see your hands. How many are going to be with family that are mostly non-believers yet? Okay, so, so you got your hands full. Um, so make sure you go to whatever celebration you're going to go to, whether they're coming to your house or whether you're going to their house. Be prayed up. Because it's during those times when you get to place, to, you get to deposit some amazing seeds in people's lives. But but try to steer things in such a way where we remember. Because you got to get to ask yourself the question: a person who doesn't believe in God, well, who are they? What are they? Who are they thanking? <laughs> who are you thanking? And I think that's why, subconsciously, our culture is skipping Thanksgiving and want to go right to Christmas with all the materialism and everything else that goes along with it. Do you notice how many people put their Christmas decorations up already? The day after Halloween. It used to be the day after Thanksgiving. That's the day after Halloween. Now, that shows you something else. See, when, when a society becomes depressed and sad, they want to try to do something that's going to make them feel good. And do it sooner. And usually Christmas makes everybody feel good for the most part. And so that's what you're seeing, people putting these Christmas decorations up so much earlier. Now, if that's you, if, you, if you're feeling down like that, make sure you start pressing into God. Make sure you start, you start reminding yourself the things that the Lord's done for you. Amen. You know, I, I don't know if we're going to get to this part of Exodus. And we're definitely not tonight, but... You remember when Moses, in fact, when Moses got in front of the Red Sea, 
What did God tell him to do? Raise up the what? Staff. Staff. Well, I'll talk about that and how how it ties into Thanksgiving. Our son David and his wife are in Egypt right now. And they're, they're staying at a resort near the Red Sea. So I texted him the other day and I said to him, do not approach the water with any kind of big stick or any kind of stick. Because you remember what happened the last time. Okay. But most people don't understand and realize what a staff meant in the Old Testament and ancient times. And in certain societies, maybe even today. That staff is not just a piece of wood or a branch. Those staffs were passed down from generation to generation to generation. And on those staffs usually was carved the history of that particular family. So when God said to him, raise up that staff, God was saying, raise up what I've done in your family throughout the generations. Raise that up and watch the, watch the sea part. Amen? So, so sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the track record that God has established in our life when you're facing challenges. When you're facing something that seems like it's gonna, you're going to need a miracle like part in the Red Sea. Lift up that standard. Lift up that track record. Begin to remind yourself. Begin to just, just sit down with somebody. Invite somebody over for a cup of coffee purposely to just, just stir up that memory of what God did for you when you first came to know him. The miracles that he worked in your life, the times that he rescued you, the times that he healed your children, the times that he came through for you when you couldn't pay your mortgage or your car payment. And all of a sudden, a check came in the mail that you weren't expecting. Remind yourself about those things. I've noticed this in 38 years. When you sit around and you start talking about those things, it's not just your soul that gets affected. In other words, you start feeling better. It's actually a tangible presence of God that comes. I've experienced such strong anointings just in having coffee with individuals and talking about what God did last week, what God did in this incident, what God did years ago. And then you start, and then the Holy Spirit starts reminding you of things that you forgot about. I wish there were things that we had written down many years ago so that we could remind ourselves. Okay, so let's go. We're starting. We're going to do just a tiny little bit of review. And I, in Jesus' name, I'm finishing my notes tonight. (laughs) Not all of it. Not all of it. We're going to pick up again. I thought we were going to finish tonight, but we're not. We're going to pick up again. There's too much good stuff to talk about. And we'll probably finish out the rest of the year in this series. Is that okay? All right. People who experience God's presence are those who understand the holiness of God and his desire for us to live separate from the filth of our old lives. And you see this exemplified in the book of Exodus. What happened? Okay. You've read this. You know the story. They come out of Egypt. God spectacularly rescues them. Pharaoh's bearing down on them. They're standing, they got the Red Sea in front of them. They got mountains on both sides, and the Egyptian army is chasing them. And what does God do? They got no choice. They got to go forward. And God says to, to, to Moses, we talked before, raise that staff. And he brings them through on the other side. Spectacular, spectacular. The movies that we watch can't even do justice to this kind of stuff. Because most of the time, they got fish flopping on the shores, you know. The Bible says they went across on dry ground. Amen? Amen. So they come up on the other side, and three days later, they start complaining because they have no water to drink. Dear God, he rescued you out of slavery. I've I've known people in all these years that have been, been a Christian. God dramatically 
saves them. They're like an Apostle Paul experience. They're delivered instantly from some type of addiction or some type of spiritual bondage or something. And then two weeks later, oh, you know, uh, uh, I lost my job. Where's God? What are you kidding me? You could have been dead by now. We, should, we would have buried you last week if it wasn't for... And now you lost your job and you want to worry about where, where's God? Come on, give me a break. You know what I'm talking about? Look at the big picture. What have we got? The heat on in here? It's hot. Could you put that air on, please? I know it's hot over here with the lights, too. So, do you want to experience the presence of God? Okay, the rest of you can go home. Do you want to experience it? What are we doing here? Do we come together? Because, I mean, there's stuff on, I could be watching Jeopardy right now. <laughs> we come together for what reason? Not to just fill our head with knowledge. You could stay home and read your Bible. We come together in the hope that we're going to experience the tangible presence of God. And that happened last Wednesday night. Amen. There's one thing to say, well, God's with me. Yeah, the Holy Ghost is in us. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, Together in my name, there I am in the midst. So we know he's here. Amen. But it's another thing to experience the corporate presence of the Spirit of God. That's what we want. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Watch this out. The people who experience God's presence are those who understand the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is a lot more than just how you dress. Uh, do you hang out at a bar? Now, we, now, that's not a good thing for us to do because it, it destroys our witness, our testimony. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it's a lot more than that. It's living a life that is, first of all, balanced. And when I say balanced, I mean this. We cannot separate ourselves entirely from this world. That's how cults begin. You understand what I'm saying? Can't do that. We are supposed to affect the world around us Listen, you wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here if somebody didn't take time out of their day 38 years ago and spend two hours with me at my place of business to explain to me the gospel. Now, if she was one of those people like, you know, I can't talk to you, you're a sinner, you're not born again, uh, you're not one of us, I would have died alone, I would have been dead 30-something years ago. Big time. So we've got to live our lives separate, but connected. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Amen. Separate, sanctified. Now, that's, that's a real holy religious word. Well, sanctified just means set apart. You listening to me? Yes. But how are we going to affect the world? How are we going to affect our, our loved ones that don't know Jesus yet? How are we going to affect our neighbors if we're like, Yes or no? Yes. But watch this now. We need to understand the holiness of God and his desire for us to live separate from the what? The filth of our what? Old life. You got an old life, I got an old life. Even after 38 years, my old life is just waiting behind. It's just waiting right behind me, waiting for me to turn around. Just like you. Same thing. It's, it's there, Waiting. Waiting, because the devil would no love nothing more than to get you back as a trophy. You listening to me? Yes. We're talking about the holiness of God. Now, this is what the burning bush experience was about. 
Now, I just found out something really cool. I forget what I was watching, if it was a video, if it was on television. It was in, from Israel. There's a specific tree in Israel that has these big, long thorns. The, this is the tree where the, the Jewish uh, tradition states, uh, even though they don't believe in Jesus, they state this is the tree that the Romans took these branches and put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. But there's a tradition that goes back even further than that, that that's the tree that the burning bush was. Now, that would make tremendous sense, wouldn't it? Because who appears in the burning bush? Jesus. Now, it's before he's born in Bethlehem, but we know that, oh, how could it be Jesus in the Old Testament? Jesus always is, always was, always is, always will be. And there's many times in the Old Testament you can pick out, go, that was Jesus. You know, it'll say the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God. That was Jesus. When it's a regular angel, it'll tell you it's a regular angel. So, so Jesus appears in that thing in, in, in the midst of the flames. Well, what did he go through on the cross? Flames sometimes can symbolize judgment. Other times it symbolizes cleansing. So Jesus appears in, in, through this bush, but what, what, what was the reason? Why was the reason that God, uh, in the form of the second person of the Trinity, at, it's at the burning bush that God was giving Moses the opportunity, watch this now, because we talked about this a lot last week, to put off Egypt. Remember, he's, he's 80 years old by the time he comes in. I know Charlton Heston looked really good in the movie. <laughs> but he was 80 years old. You say, well, 80 years old back then. No, 80 years old back then is still 80 years old, okay? He's 80 years old. He spent the first 40 years of his life living as an official in Pharaoh's house. This guy knows the Egyptian government. He knows big shots there. He knows the Pharaoh. He knows that he's raised there. You spend 40 years in that kind of a culture, you don't just shake it off overnight. You listening to me? You know, we get sometimes a person could get born again. They come to the, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ during their 50s, and then we go, oh, you know what? You know, uh, they're still acting like, well, they were 50 years old before. They, they lived 50 years in this world without Jesus. You think all of a sudden, bam, you put, turn the switch on, and all of a sudden they become uh, Martin Luther or Billy Graham? So, so now the next 40 years, Moses spends in the wilderness, in the desert. He, and it couldn't have been that much of a desert because they had sheep, so... I mean, the sheep don't eat sand, so there must have been some place where there was some pasture land. And so, but he spent all that time. At the end of that 40-year period, he must have disconnected with this dream that he had when he was 40 years old, that God was going to use him to deliver his people out of slavery. So now he comes, he's 80 years old. Now, he's given, he's given God's given Moses the opportunity to put off Egypt to, and, and to put on the nature of God. It didn't dawn on me until today when I was going over my notes again. So how could you say that, Pastor? How could he put on the nature of God? Uh, I said a couple of weeks ago, he could only put off, he could not put on. I want to I take that statement back. Because God was introducing himself to Moses in a very spectacular way. Number one, to get him out of the shepherd mode, Okay. Get him out of shepherd mode and start to begin to prepare for his next 40 years. Okay? But watch this now. It never dawned on me. After the burning bush experience, watch this, 
Moses starts conducting himself supernaturally. What's the very first thing that happens next? He says, I want you and your brother Aaron to go to the Pharaoh's court, take your staff with you. What does that staff represent? The track record of the family for generations and generations and generations. Okay? And what happens? God says to Moses and Aaron, throw that staff down in front of Pharaoh. And what happened to it? The staff became a what? A snake. Supernatural. Moses couldn't do that before he met Jesus in the burning bush. You see what I'm saying? What's happening to Moses? He started to take on the supernatural nature of God. But what happened to you when you came face to face with Jesus? You had a supernatural experience. You got born again. Your spirit that's been dead came alive unto God. Now you're starting to hear from God. You're starting, you, you start reading the Bible and you're actually understanding this book where before you're like, what the heck? What does this mean here? What is this? What is this? It's like hieroglyphics. But as soon as Moses came face to face with God Almighty in the form of Jesus there at the burning bush, he immediately starts operating supernaturally to the point you remember because you're Bible students and you read your Bible all the time. You remember when Moses went up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, when he came down, they said, oh, put something over your head. His face is glowing. Now, you look at old drawings from back in the, like the medieval times and Middle Ages and even in the Renaissance periods, that usually they'll show, they'll show these horns of light coming off of Moses' head or sometimes coming out of his eyes, all right? He didn't turn into an alien, went up on a mountain. What is it? He spent time in the presence of God. You remember when Jesus went up on another mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, and James and John are with him, and they go up there, uh, Peter, James, and John. And, and what happens? And they said Jesus' garments transfigured. His garments became shiny and bright, and his brilliance, his face is glowing, and it freaked them all out. Peter, first thing you could think of, hey, we can make money on this. <laughs> Peter says, hey, Lord, can we build a couple of booths here, a couple of shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? He said, we can run tours up here. We could sell little souvenirs. We could do it. And, and the voice comes out of heaven and says to them, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Forget about making money. Forget about the boots. Forget about the souvenirs. Listen to my son. But they got so freaked out when they saw Jesus transform. Now, you've heard me teach this before in the past. I believe they went up on a natural mountain, but that event didn't take place on a natural mountain. I believe they went up on a natural mountain, but they got transformed, transferred or translated to heaven. Say, so what's your proof? Who did Jesus meet? Moses and Elijah. Well, where's Moses and Elijah? In heaven. They can't be coming back from the dead. Why? Because we're forbidden to speak to the dead. The book of Deuteronomy tells us strictly, commands us under a curse, do not communicate with the dead. And you know why that is, right? Because the person you end up communicating with is not the dead relative. It's the devil masquerading as a... We hear this all the time. Uh, my grandmother died, and now she started to appear in my room. Oh, honey, that's not your grandmother. Your grandmother's in heaven if she knew Jesus. That's a demon that's coming to masquerade to give you the wrong advice in life to steer you in the opposite direction where you should be going. We got no business communicating with the dead, but I missed him. 
if they were saved, you'll see them in the future. And if they were saved and if they're in heaven, they wouldn't want you trying to do that because they know it's against God's will. Amen? Amen? So, so look at this spectacular. Never dawned on me. Been reading this for 38 years. Never dawned on me until this afternoon. Moses, as soon as he has this burning bush experience, starts operating in the supernatural power of God. Amen. Is that awesome or what? Yeah. So what's God preparing us for? On an everyday basis, he's trying to get us to get more and more away from our old life, more and more away from going into default. Why? Because we can't really be used by God in a spectacular, supernatural way if we're still entertaining garbage from the past. It's always going to hold you back. That was one of the main reasons why God told them, don't associate with the other nations around you. They're just going to bring you back to idolatry. They're going to bring you back to pagan practices. They're going, to, they're going to entice you to eat stuff I told you not to eat. They're going to entice you to do things and say things and conduct yourself with rituals and sexual immorality and all this other kind of stuff. So he told them, you've got to keep yourself separate. That always goes over real big. You get all kinds of amens, people standing up going, Hallelujah. So you and I have the opportunity to be formed more and more in the image of Christ by his spirit and his word. And again, I said this last week, it's an opportunity. It is not automatic. It's not one and done. It's an opportunity. Well, pastor, I don't you say when we get born and God, our spirit comes alive. Your spirit comes alive. Your spirit is not your problem right now in this life. Your spirit has been made perfect in Christ. And thank God, that's what's going to go into eternity. But we have a soul. That soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And that still wants to act like we're still in Egypt. And the process, the reason we're here tonight is to get our soul cleansed more and more from the junk of our past Unresolved issues, trauma, disappointments, the mistakes, bad decisions we made. That's what we're, we're trying to get more and more away from those things, healed from those things, so that we as a, as a, as a being will, will lean more towards our spirit and less towards our flesh. Your body is a dummy. A dummy does whatever the puppet master. And if your soul is in charge, you're going to act like a fool. When our spirit is in charge, people see Jesus on us. You listening? All right. So, we're to put off the old world, the old life, the worldly influence, and we're to clothe ourselves in holiness that comes through Christ and his word. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, then we're going to move on. Colossians 3, verse 5. So put to death. He doesn't even want them hanging around. Look what it says. It doesn't say, like, kick it aside. It doesn't say ignore it. It says, put to death the sinful earthly things. Remember we talked about this? Lurking. <laughs> Lurking within you. Where, where are they? They're not in my spirit. Where are those, where are those earthly things, those fleshly things, those sinful things, where are they lurking? In my 
soul. In fact, James tells us the whole process of sin starts in our mind. We think about it. We start yielding to it. And then by the time you turn around, you're, you're in full manifestation, full blown, okay? So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is idolater. Yeah, because a, a greedy person can never have enough. And they worship everything they produce with their hands. Look at my beautiful car. Look at my beautiful house. If, you live, if you've lived here down the shore long enough, look at my beautiful boat. It's a hole in the water that you pour money into. <laughs> Worshiping the things of this world, okay? God doesn't want us to be connected to those things. He, he, he doesn't care if we have them. He just doesn't want them to have us, okay? Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, now a more reliable translation says, because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. What is that, the NIV version? NLT, yeah. New King James says it's coming on the sons of disobedience. Are you a son of disobedience? No. Uh, we're born again. We're children of God. Amen? Amen? If we are born again, if we have received Christ, okay? You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it's time to get rid of. Not only wants us to kill the other things, but he wants us to get rid of this stuff. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. I would submit this to you, even in, even in the church. I'm not talking about just us. I'm talking in the church world, in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, that if most of us were to really go by this, nobody would talk. We'd be like those nuns that take the vows of silence. So that means we got to repent on a continual basis, right? There has to be a constant cleansing. We need to be killing those things. We need to be, and now God gave me an illustration of something uh, a few years ago. If you have a garden, okay, you plant, you put your plants, you, put, you start with the little Dixie cups, right? You put the seed there, you're looking at it every day, and finally then it, it sprouts, Right? Then when it gets tall enough, what do you do? You take it out. You don't keep it in a Dixie cup, do you? You put it where? Maybe you put it in a planter first. But, but eventually, it's going to go in the ground, right? Now, what happens when it goes in the ground? It takes root, but what also takes root with it? Weeds. Weeds show up. Yes or no? Yes. Now, do you go, oh, forget this tomato plant. It's got, it's got weeds. There's weeds around it. Now, what do you do? You go and do what? Pluck the weeds, right? So you get you're plucking the anger, the rage, the malicious behavior, the slander, the dirty language. Now next week you're going to go back out in that garden. What's going to be back there again? So what are you going to do? Oh, forget this. I can't. Now it's too much for me. I can't do this. What do you do? You pluck the weeds. But while you're plucking the weeds, the tomato plant is actually growing. You don't abandon the tomato plant. We don't abandon our walk with God because you made a mistake or you just got a bad habit that you can't get rid of right away. You keep plucking them weeds because eventually that stuff's going to get plucked out of your life. Amen? Amen? Is there another verse after this? Don't lie to each other. Oh, forget it. We're done there. <laughs> Don't lie to each other. Can I give you some practical knowledge? Well, practical wisdom that you find out over the years. I hear people say stuff like this. 
I got to get some work done in my house. I'm going to hire a Christian. No, hire the person that knows how to do the work in your house. If they happen to be Christian, praise God. If they're not, they're not. Why? Because, you know, I know nobody in here is guilty of this, but not every person that has a little fish on their business cards mean well. You know, there's some Christians, that are, some people that have professed Christ that you can't turn your back on. Think about it. Go ahead. Oh, I need a plumber. I'm going to hire. I'm looking for you. know a Christian plumber? No, I know a plumber. Now, if they're, if they're Christians or not, that's, you know, it's wonderful if it is. But if the, you know, I, I want the person who knows how to do the job. Well, I want a Christian mechanic. No, I want a mechanic that knows how to fix the car. If he's not a Christian, maybe we can get him to be a Christian. But get the job done. Why? Because when, when you're dissatisfied, now you not only got a broken car, not only are you out two grand, now you lost a relationship. And everybody said, Amen. don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Again, Moses can only put, up, put off, but he did not have the new nature. Now, God imparted to him through the anointing, but Moses still wasn't born again because in the, in the Old Testament, listen to this closely. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could only come upon a person. The Holy Spirit could not live in a person because nobody was born again yet. In fact, the first individuals that ever had the Holy Spirit live in them were who? Uh, the apostles when? After the resurrection. You remember on Easter Sunday night, Jesus appeared to them. And what did he do? <sighs> Breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that tells us that's the night they got born again. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can only come into a person who have placed their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Amen. So their spirit came alive and the Holy Spirit came to live in them. Amen. Yes or no? Yes. But you couldn't do that in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon Moses, but then when the Holy Spirit would leave him, he'd act like a fool. The Holy Spirit could come upon a prophet in the Old Testament and they would speak and they would write the scriptures down and all this stuff. They didn't really know that they were writing the Bible. But then they, when the anointing would come off them, when the presence of the Holy Spirit would lead them, they'd look at Abraham. Lies like crazy. Abraham was a conniver. So he was the father of faith. Well, he got there at some point. But, you know, you look at his life, you go, well, how did God put up with this guy? Where do you want to put David? Amen. David, who wrote, God knows how many of the Psalms, beautiful songs, poems, anointed, kills the giant, the whole bit. And then he, and then he had, commits adultery with his next door neighbor's wife and then sets the guy out to get killed. Yet God says, he's a man after my own heart. Amen. Why? Because God loves an adulterer? No, because... God knew his heart was quick to repent when he realized that he, was, that he sinned. Amen. Be quick to repent. Be quick to ask for forgiveness. Are you listening to me? Yes. So all these things, God bursts on the scene in Moses' life to get him prepared to operate in the supernatural. Uh, let's go with the other verses in Colossians, please. Excuse me, Colossians 3.10, put on your new nature. Who is he talking to? What part of the Bible is this? New Testament. New Testament. So he's talking to who? 
the church, to the believers, whether they're Jews or, or Christians, believers, okay? Put on your new nature. That means I have to do it. You have to do it. And the best thing to do is do it first thing in the morning before all the old habits try to come and reestablish themselves. You listening? Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people, remember, talking about sanctified, set apart. First thing that God said to Moses was what? Take your shoes off. You're standing on what? Holy ground. What does he tell him? I'm teaching you reverence, Moses. I'm teaching you reverence. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Oh, that's a new one. Forgive anyone who offends you. I don't know what happened recently, but it seems like in the past couple of years, so many people are so easily offended. I'm not talking about outside. I'm talking about church. Touchy, feely. What do you think he meant by that? Well, they said was hello. Yeah, but it's the way they said it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I've taught this before. I'm going to keep teaching it. You better take an inventory of yourself. And when you start feeling easily offended, when you start feeling very touchy-feely, when, when the slightest thing that people say to you could agitate you, listen to me. That person's not the problem. The devil is setting you up. Because the greatest tool that he uses against Christians is Offense. Do you know that he hates relationships? The devil hates relationships. He hates them because of a principle that God taught the disciples. He said, if even just two of you will pray, touching anything here on earth, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. It's called the prayer of agreement. The prayer of agreement. Well, the prayer of agreement needs at least two people, yes or no? And that's why most marriages come under attack. Relationships come under attack. Business partnerships come under attack. Ministry, ministry partnerships come under attack. Why? The enemy divides so that he can conquer. And listen to me. The older we get, the more we realize how precious relationships are. So, make allowance for each other's faults. Does it surprise you when somebody acts like a, like a fool? Because we're all capable of that, yes or no? Yes. We're all capable of that, all right? Remember, forgive anyone who offends you. First of all, don't take the offense. Offense is going to come. And I don't know why there, there, there are seasons that you go through, and I've seen this in 38 years. I've seen seasons where people are okay, they're cool with each other, they love one another. If you say something stupid, they overlook it. You know, you're willing to forgive and move on, not pay attention to all things. But then there's seasons that come, and you know that's, that's when the devil is stirring up activity. People get very touchy. Okay? You've got to make allowances for each other's faults. Make an, allow, make an allowance. Get up in the morning and say to yourself, okay, I'm going to run into people today. 
that are going to disappoint me, that are going to say things, that are going to do things that are not right, all these other kind of things. Let me dip into my account today and do what? Make an allowance. Okay. Now, I know there's some, some people that they can, they can totally bankrupt your <laughs> allowance account. Yeah. And sometimes you just got to take a time out. Sometimes you got to take a time out. I, I tell you, I, I believe God does this sometimes because God's a good father, right? Yes. And sometimes, sometimes, and we don't even realize it's happening, God will go, okay, you, that corner. You, that corner. When you start acting nice, I'll bring you back out again. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, here it is, clothe yourselves with what? Love, which does what? Binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now, it doesn't, doesn't say we have to agree about everything. But if we'll love each other, even through the disagreements, Moses, Moses was probably the one cheering in heaven when Paul wrote this stuff because he had to put up with two and a half to three million complaining, murmuring, spoiled brats. In fact, they got him so disgusted, he missed the promised land because he let the people's grumbling and complaining and all their aggravation get to him. He never made it to the promised land because of some stupid things he did, probably under pressure. Amen? You learning anything tonight? Yes. It's not that cold out. I can't say you just came here to get out of the cold. It's not that cold outside. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen, we can't talk enough about this. We can't talk enough about this. The life that you and I have with God has got to be a life of separation. Not from one another. Not from people, even if they don't believe the way we believe, but separation from a world system that is constantly trying to get us to forget our God and to depend on ourselves. Let me share something with you. We have a food pantry at the other end of this building. After the superstorm there in Sandy in 2012, we went from feeding six to 800 families a month to 1,400 families, sometimes 1,600 families a month. The people that we had the chance to minister to there was unbelievable. And it was crazy. And we're talking about we had to operate that food pantry six days a week. Excuse me, five days a week. Sunday and Monday, it was closed. Now, there's maybe 400 families that show up. Why? What's different between then and now? Do you know how many government programs there are now? Do you know how many gift cards, how many uh, giveaways, how many, all these things? They say, well, the government's taking care. No, no, it's your money. It's my money. Now, I don't mind helping somebody, but that should be my choice. You listening to me? So what's happening now? People, without realizing it, are becoming more and more dependent on who? Instead of being dependent on who? God. And listen to me. When the government steps in to take care of people's needs, it's always four to five times more expensive. We get things done on a shoestring, and we do it in excellence. Why? Because we're anointed to do that. We're the church. God told the church to feed the poor. 
clothe the naked, uh, house the, the homeless. We're the ones that have the power of God to do that, not the government. That's why when the government steps in, they don't know what they're doing. It costs four or five times more to do the same thing, and they don't even do it that good. You listening to me? Even, even the food bank that, that supplies us with the food marvels. They don't, over the years, they're like, we don't understand how you do what you do over here. Well, because God's hand is upon it. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, come by here on a Wednesday. Or come by here on any day. If one of us is not doing anything, we'll give you a tour, and you'll see the facility that's next door to take care of the poor. But we're scratching our heads since the pandemic. Because when the pandemic happened, I gathered everybody together and said, oh my God, this is going to be worse than Sandy. And it's not just us. Every food pantry you talk to, the food bank themselves said, we don't even understand what's going on. As bad as things are, as expensive as the food is, as expensive as gas is, expensive as housing is, we're not seeing the crowds. Why? Because somebody's... Yeah, come on. Vote for me. Vote for me. But we're so stupid that we don't realize while they're doing this, it's coming out of our back pocket because it ain't their money. Anybody ever go to the unemployment office? How many of you have ever had to collect unemployment here? Say, man, he's on the bandwagon tonight. How many, how many, be honest, how many have ever had to collect unemployment? How many times it make you feel like it's their money coming out of their pocket when they give it to you? You got to fight for it. But it's your money that they took out every month, every week for 40 years. And then they make you stand in line, humiliate you. Did you look for any jobs? No, I'm standing around paying, playing tiddlywinks. You listen to what I'm saying? That is an ungodly world system. Listen to me. God, no matter what you go through, what we go through, God never takes your dignity away from you. But when man's involved, the first thing that goes is dignity. Look at that woman that was caught in the act of adultery. They dragged her out of the bed with another guy, drag her naked, throw her in front of Jesus. What did he do? Did he rob her of her dignity? No, no. He says, where's, where's your accusers? He told them, whoever has never sinned, you throw the first stone. And they all went away. But their intent was to destroy her dignity. Jesus' intent was to restore her dignity. You listening to me? How did I get over there? So, oh, man, I thought I was going to finish this tonight. We're talking about lessons from the burning bush. So the first lesson that we spent the past few weeks on is the first thing that God taught Moses at the burning bush was what? Reverence. 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 Oh, man, we got to spend more time on this. What was the first lesson that God taught Moses? Reverence. It's the first thing that we have an opportunity to do when we come into service on a Saturday night, on a Sunday, is do what? Worship. You know, you listen to people when they talk about this Exodus story. Well, wasn't God marvelous that he rescued his people so they could have their own nation? God never said anything about a nation. Oh, he rescued these people so they wouldn't be slaves. God never said anything about that. God said to Moses, hey, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. 
God didn't rescue you out of your Egypt to take you out so you're not a slave anymore. God didn't rescue you out of your craziness of your old life so that you can go and hang around with the same people that were driving you crazy before and drag you back in. Listen, is this making sense to anybody tonight? He called us out to be what? Worshippers. Because when you worship God, you get filled up with his presence. Then you go out of his presence, and then you affect people around you because you and I affect people around us from the overflow of our experience with God. Remember what happened to Moses. 40 days, 40 nights, up on a mountain, in God's face, continuously, continuously. And what happened? When he came down, it showed. You can tell. Man, this guy's been with God. They said the same thing about the disciples, you remember? They said, man, these are ignorant fishermen. But yet we see that they spent time with Jesus. You listening to me? So second lesson, we'll start there and we'll finish it after Thanksgiving. Second lesson that we learn is that God wants us to be real. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Now, listen, we're going into a whole other topic now, so, so let's, let's stick with this, okay? You want to go? We can go now, and I'll just I'll start this next time. All right. And the Lord said, who's he talking to? Moses. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their what? Cry because of the what? Ta- what's a taskmaster? A slave driver. That's the spirit of the world. Slave driver. Don't you want this new car? Don't you want a bigger house? You only got a two-car garage. Don't you want a three-car garage? Oh, go get yourself another part-time job. Go get yourself another. Oh, go get yourself in debt. Hey, you just got a credit card with, with, in the mail. Zero, zero percent interest for the first couple of years. Go ahead. What is it? The taskmaster the taskmaster, okay? I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. Now, the word oppression means to exercise strong control over. Does that sound familiar? Okay. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Read this with me out loud. Ready? One, two, three. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, where are they when God speaks this to Moses? They're in Egypt. What's Egypt, especially back then? Not today, because the technology, Egypt has been transformed. But Egypt back then was sand with one river running through it. That's it. And if you didn't have prime waterfront property, you're done. You've got to get buckets. You've got to get some kind of irrigation system. You've got to pump water yourself to get it from that little river over to where your field is. And God says, I'm taking you out of that land. I'm taking you out from under the slave driver. I'm taking you out from under that oppression. I'm taking you out from under that strong control. And I'm bringing you to a land that does what? Flows with what? Milk and honey. No, everything grows there. Anything will grow there. Amen. Amen? Next verse. To the place where the Canaanites, okay, here it comes. And they must have went, oh, here's the hook. You're taking us to a good land, but right now somebody else is living in it. Canaanites, idolaters, 
Hittites, idolaters. Amorites, idolaters. Perizzites, idolaters. Hivites, idolaters and Jebusites. Those are the ones, they were idol worshipers that settled around where modern day Jerusalem is, okay? Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. He said, I've heard their cries. I've seen their oppression. Now he says it again. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. When God says something more than once, you better pay attention to it. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Well, and Moses must have went, wait a minute. You said you heard the cries. You said you saw the oppression. I got to go? Come now, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Is that where we stop? Two more? Okay. So, God reveals himself as the one who knows what's really going on with his people. Does God change? Oh, you're scaring me tonight. Does God change? So if he was a God who knew the cries of his people then, if he was a God who saw the oppression then, if he was a God who had compassion on his children then, has he changed? So when the devil says to you, whispers in your ear, God's forgotten about you. God doesn't know what's going on in your life. You're suffering on your own. God doesn't know anything. God's nowhere near this situation. Everybody else has forgotten about you. Nobody cares. God knows. Amen. Never, never think that he's not aware of what's going on in your soul. The Israelites were slaves for hundreds of years. That Many of them at that point must have concluded, God's forsaken us. God is, God, maybe there is no God. Maybe God doesn't even exist anymore. There's nothing sadder when a person who has confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life and then years later says, I don't even know if this stuff's real anymore. I don't even know if God's real anymore. God was aware, a very tear, and he responded by sending a delivery. He's no different with us. Listen to Psalm 34, verse 17. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord continues to rescue each time. That's a promise from God. Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So we could say trespasses. In other words, we stepped over the line. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You know, one of the first messages I ever preached actually was, was a message I preached in Bible school was based on the scripture, Psalm 103. Verse 14, that was, that was 26, 27 years ago. I've never forgotten the definition of that verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are like dust. We're just dust. 
You looked that up in the original language, and the closest we can describe it to is that, I would say it this way in modern language, he knows how we're wired. So picture a little circuit board. He knows very intricately, very delicately, he knows exactly. That's why there could be three or four of us gathered together, right? And somebody says something, one person will get totally triggered, the other people just doesn't even phase them. Why? We're all wired differently. Things that are going to bother you may not bother me. Things that bother me, you may think, well, because we're wired a specific way. And God knows that. He knows everything that you've been exposed to. He knows the type of family you were raised in. He knows the, what you were treated like in school. He knows, he knows everything about us. Amen. Intricately and intimately. And he knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. You listening to me? So if God has patience with us individually, how about if we give each other a break and have some patience with each other individually? Because you don't really know how I'm wired. I don't really know how you're wired. And you know something? We don't even know how we're wired. And, And that's why you can go through seasons of life and go, well, all of a sudden now in this season of life, is this thing bothering me? It didn't bother me 20 years ago. You, you hear what I'm saying? God bless you. And we go through seasons of life where stuff that used to bother us doesn't bother us anymore because God went in there with that little soldering wire. You know what I'm saying? With that little soldering tool and started studying. Now I got to redirect this thing. I got to stop this. Keith, you know, I got to redirect Keith. Let's set those wires different. You see what I'm saying? That should give us a lot of hope because sometimes we hold each other to unreasonable standards. He knows our frame. He knows that we're just us. He knows that someday all this is going to just fall to pieces and blow away. But our spirit remains. Jesus didn't come to die for bodies. Jesus came and died for our spirit. Because that's who you really are. You were created in the image and likeness of God. God is a spirit. Jesus has a physical body. God the Father is spirit. That's who you are. You are a spirit. You possess a soul. That soul reflects everything you've been exposed to from the time they took you home from the hospital. And they live in a physical body. And our whole life, from this time until the time that we meet Jesus face to face, is in this tug of war. Your spirit's pulling this way. Your soul's pulling this way. Your body's like, hey, I'll go wherever you guys want to go. That's why you and I need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The word of God has got to become our circuit board. The word of God has got to become our default. So that becomes more and more natural. So you and I, just like Moses discovered, you imagine what Moses must have felt like the first time he threw that staff on the ground and turned it into a snake? I don't know who was more surprised, Pharaoh or him. Because it's never happened before. You see what I'm saying? You and I are in this transformation process. Because you and I, as born-again believers, and I know I keep throwing that term around, but I don't have any other term to use other than what Jesus used. 
Because the person that comes to Christ and the person that declares their faith in Christ and declares him as Lord over their life, their spirit comes alive. And now your spirit's connected to God. And so now we're ready to operate supernaturally and do the things that Jesus said we should be doing. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stop here. Next week is what? Thanksgiving. What's next Tuesday? Where are you going to be? I didn't hear everybody. Where, where you? I would do what, what Brian said tonight. Get here early. Because usually our worship nights usually get packed out. And Wednesday nights have been really packed out as it is. So we're going to come together. We're going to worship God. We're going to give him our thanks. We're going to give him our devotion, our affection. We're going to make a big deal about him next Tuesday night. Amen. Amen. And listen, listen, listen. Be prepared because when we do that, something changes in, so, something changes in the atmosphere. And anything's liable to happen. We've seen it in the past. People get healed in those kind of services. Just amazing things happen. So I would bring somebody with me. If I was you, I would bring somebody, especially somebody who's an unbeliever. I'm not saying somebody hasn't heard yet, an unbeliever. You know, there's two, there's two, there's two categories there, right? Yeah. Not, not everybody who's not a born-again Christian is an unbeliever. There's some people that never heard. There are never heards, and then there's non-believers. A non-believer is somebody who's heard and said, no, nah, I don't believe that. A never heard, never heard. I was a never heard until somebody, a lady came and spent two hours time with me explaining to me. And I sat there like, are you kidding me? How did I not know this? Spent eight years in a Catholic school. How did I not know this? How did I not know this? Went to church all the time. How did, how, how did I not know this? I, was, I wasn't an unbeliever. I was a never heard. Bring some never-herds next week. Bring some non-believers next week. There's something about a non-believer that's going to happen over and over again. See, because when you're in that atmosphere and you're worshiping God and the presence of God is here, there's no argument. There's nothing to argue about. I'll tell you this story, then we'll go. This room that we're in, when we first took over this, this building, well, we first rented it, we only had this space here from, from where the cameras are back there to here. That was, and it was predominantly for our teenagers and for the community. We contracted with the guy, I don't remember who he was at this point, but we were connected somehow to do, to do the carpeting on the floor. Some of you heard the story, you know where I'm going. Our offices were next door above the kitchen cabinet place. About an hour after he's in here, I'm like, this, how is this guy done? We hear him coming up the steps to the office. I'm like, how is this guy done already? He walks in and staggering like a drunk. And walks in and goes, I swear to you, I wish the other person that was with me could be here tonight. Walks in and goes, there's something in that room. I said, what are you? And I could see he's like impacted. He goes, there's something in that room. I said, yeah, it's the presence of God. It's the Holy Spirit. Because we had written scriptures all behind the walls here. If we start tearing, when we start tearing these walls down, I don't know about that one, but definitely those walls in the back and this one, and even on the floor, there's scriptures written, the word of God. And you'd come in this room, and, you, and we'd pack this room with teenagers back then. 
on a Tuesday night, it was not unusual to have 70, 80 teenagers on a Friday. You remember, David. You were raised up in this. Friday night, 100, 120 teenagers come in this room, and they'd start worshiping God. And man, the presence of God will come so strong in this place. And that guy, that guy claimed to be an unbeliever. There was nothing, to, you, could, you can't argue with an experience. Amen. So bring the ones that you, oh, no, they'll never come to church. They'll never believe in God. What do you do? You can't condemn people like that. You're saying they're going to go to hell and there's no hope for them. Right. He reached you. And trust me, if he reached you, he can reach them. Amen. So worship nights are really important. That's the best time for you to bring somebody who's, who's been like, just say, listen, just come. Hey, just tell them, hey, the music's really good. And they got good cake and desserts. <laughs> and then just put them in there and watch what God does. Amen? Amen. Stand up. Father, thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you that you led us and you've guided us into your truth for tonight, Father. We're so grateful for the Holy Spirit, the teacher. Thank you so much, Holy Spirit. Thank you for blessing us tonight. Thank you for refreshing our hearts tonight, Lord God. Thank you for encouraging us to separate ourselves more and more from our old life. Father, that we may prepare ourselves to have a face-to-face encounter with you, Lord. We're so blessed to be here, Father. We're so blessed to be your children. Thank you so much. Now, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every person that's standing here right now, you're going to place someone's name on their heart. They're going to see a picture of an individual, Father, and they'll know that's who I'm supposed to invite next week for the worship night. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that next Tuesday night when we come together that your presence is just going to fill this place, God, in such a way that no sickness or disease can stand it. No fear, no anxiety, no panic attacks will be able to stand in the presence of God. Thank you, Father. We have great expectations for next Tuesday, Lord. We can't wait to give you thanks and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, you're here tonight. If you have anything that you need prayer about, don't just walk out. Come up here. There's people that will pray for you. And you can leave this place different tonight. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming out tonight.